Hi, everybody. This is Gary Sandy, and thank you very much for listening to the WKRP cast. So just sit right down, relax, open your ears real wide, and say... Weather today in the greater Cincinnati area. Are you awake? Whoa! Are you awake now? But the senator, while insisting he was not intoxicated, could not explain his nudity. Say what? Dear God, she's going to kill us all. Welcome to the WKRP cast. My name is Donna Stair. And I'm her husband, Alan. This is a week-by-week, episode-by-episode rewatch. We're getting into the music, the trivia, and the fun of WKRP. So, fellow babies, don't touch that dial. It's time for the WKRP cast. I'm at WKRP in Cincinnati. Welcome back to another WKRP cast. Boy, we're getting awarded this week. What is our episode, Donna? We're ready to discuss Most Improved Station. The air date was the 31st of March, 1980. Written by Michael Fairman and Richard Sanders. Story editors, Dan Gunselman, Steve Marshall, Stephen Campman, and PJ Tarakvi. Executive story consultant, Blake Hunter, and it was directed by Rod Daniel. And a woohoo to Fairman Sanders. Always like a Fairman Sanders script. <laughs> this is the final episode of season two. Without intending it, this turns out to be a somewhat momentous episode in the series. Note that air date, the last day of March of 1980. We know at the end of the first season, the cast was released in early March after wrapping the shoot on the final episode of the season. This episode was the last one shot for season two. The early announcement came that WKRP had been picked up for a third season, so the cast knew they were coming back. They didn't realize that a strike was going to delay the start of the fall TV season. In a normal year, production would have resumed in late July or early August, with a projected date for new episodes to air in the first or second week of September. Baseball, you remember, was the first episode to be shot for season two. It shot the first week of August in the summer of 1979. Surprise! As if WKRP hasn't had enough roadblocks when it comes to building an audience. Well, here comes another one. That summer of 1980, the actors went on strike. All of them. They're merged now, but at the time, there were two major unions representing film and TV performers. The Screen Actors Guild, or SAG, is the union for movie actors. AFTRA, the other major performer union, was the American Federation of Television and Radio Artists. AFTRA pretty much covers everybody else, non-film performers. The problem, most performers were members of both unions. After the TV boom in the 1960s, it was very common for big box office names to start appearing on TV. And if you appeared on television, you had to join AFTRA. On July 21st of 1980, the walkout began. SAG started it, but AFTRA joined in right behind. It rocked the industry. Liza Minnelli, Dudley Moore, Burt Reynolds... Candace Bergen and Jacqueline Bissett were shooting on three different movies in New York. Production stopped on all three when the actors didn't show. It wasn't really a long strike. It lasted about three months. What made it so bad was the timing. Primetime TV shows remained off the air through September and October. News, 
daytime soaps and game shows continued to produce new episodes since they were covered under separate contracts. WKRP went into reruns in April. They ran seven straight months of nothing but previously aired content. Audiences were spotty and inconsistent. Some weeks, KRP would rank in the teens. Other times, they were almost non-existent. One week, they placed 66 out of 73 shows for the week. So why the strike? Well, performers wanted their share of rentals. Yes, we're talking about VHS movie rentals. Family Video, from just down the road from us, out of Springfield, Illinois, started to rent movies in 1978. Cable was spreading across the country, and pay TV was just being introduced. If producers were making money out of alternate forms of distribution, the performers wanted their cut. The decisions made that summer about how performers would get paid for rentals and pay-per-view still impact the industry today. Okay, let's get into the episode. We open on an awards ceremony. It's the Cincinnati Broadcasters Awards already in progress. A woman's at the microphone announcing the Air Personality of the Year at a radio station 5,000 watts or less. The staff of WKRP are seated at a front table. All of them are dressed in tuxes and formals for this affair. And now a special look at this episode's bandage placement for the five-time Buckeye NewsHawk Award winner, Les Nessman. This is the Les Nessman Bandage Report. Now here's Donna Stair with her report about Les Nessman. Middle of Bald Spot. This has been a look at the bandage placement for Silver Sow and Copper Cobb award-winning journalist Les Nessman. As we were panning this room where the uh, award ceremony is happening, there's a big banner behind our presenter that says Cincinnati Broadcaster apostrophe S. That's not right, is it? It should be broadcasters. Yeah, but the way they have it on the banner, the Cincinnati Broadcasters Awards with apostrophe S, it makes it sound like it's one broadcaster. broadcaster and it's their awards. Right, right. It should be S apostrophe. But the multiple broadcasters all having the awards. But this is not the first time ever that we've since seen... they right. messed up the programming, the word programming on Andy's office door. I'm proofreading everything. <laughs> well, Johnny is not thrilled to be at the awards ceremony. He leans over to Andy. These awards are dumb, man. I mean, really dumb. <laughs> the woman announces Dr. Johnny Fever as the recipient of this year's Air Personality of the Year. Johnny heads up to receive his award. Jennifer's happy and turns to Les. See, Les, you didn't win, but Johnny did. Isn't that wonderful? Jennifer's really peddling some sunshine there. Yeah, and you see, Les is uh, wearing an all-white tux. Oh, he my. was looking sharp. He is very sharp, yes. We got somebody else with a tux we're going to talk about in a minute here. But Les has a frown on his face. He is not buying all the happy sunshine that uh, Jennifer is selling, and he's definitely not happy about Johnny's win. Johnny goes to the mic to make his acceptance speech. I guess I have a lot of people to thank, so I'll start with all of my friends at WKRP and uh, my 12th grade teacher <laughs> and uh, this incredibly beautiful woman to my right. Thank you. All of you. <laughs> 
it's just as weird as you would expect Johnny to, to give as an acceptance speech. So Johnny's led off the stage and he disappears. Jennifer tells the others at the table she thinks they're a shoe in for most improved station. Andy agrees. We came from 16th to 14th place. Size is political. I fixed it. <laughs> really, Herb? And would you look at Herb? It's time! Herb Darling, fashion alert. A shimmery, light pink tux jacket with designs all over, <laughs> a black collar and lapels trimmed in black, a black bow tie, and a black vest over a darker shade of pink than the jacket shirt with ruffles on the chest and around the cuffs, and a different shade of pink flower on the left lapel of his jacket. And the black vest looks like, and the bow tie, oh, velvet. velvet. I think so. We just rewatched this one right before we sat down to record the podcast. And when this scene came on and they cut to Herb sitting around the table, I just started laughing. Every time I see this tux, I just start <laughs> laughing. And you looked over at me. You knew exactly what I was laughing at. Every time he appears for the first time on the screen, it is so shocking. It just makes me laugh. <laughs> the woman at the microphone continues with the most improved station and announces the nominees. W-R-E-Q. WTNA and WKRP. Now, as they announced those station names, I did notice something. It appears in Cincinnati, all radio stations are run by eight people. <laughs> they so all they can fit perfectly around, fit around those one of those tables. The, yeah, tables, not And <laughs> those are the only three radio stations in Cincinnati because they're all right there at this awards banquet. Now, what did you observe about WTNA, well, Alan? I'm pretty sure that WTNA is a Hugh Wilson joke about the state of TV in 1980. TNA is a TV broadcasting term. Well, it's just a term in general, short for tits and arse. <laughs> it was a term used to describe what was also called jiggle television. Yes, we discussed jiggle television during yeah. the baseball Yes, we had some, had some jiggle shots in there. Fred Silverman, referred to by some as his sexist pig, was the 70s-era programming chief at ABC, who coined the term and created the style. He was the most prolific purveyor of Jiggle. This is the man who was working on Charlie's Angels, Wonder Woman, and Three's Company, all good examples of TNA programming. Well, Les hears the woman say WKRP, and he jumps up. He starts shaking everyone's hands at the table and thanking Herb, and Andy tells him that he needs to sit down. They've not won yet. And the winner is... Come on up here, you crazy. Les jumps up and excitedly heads to the microphone to receive the award for WKRP. Oh, it's so hard to watch. Les is so happy, giggling uncontrollably. He faces the crowd. He's standing now up in front of the room with this big smile on his face, and he tells the woman to continue. WTNA. <laughs> Les immediately just goes volcanic. He is Explodes. exploding all over yeah. the place. This thing's supposed to be fixed. We're going to fix this thing. 
Carlson, Andy, Venus, and Herb grab Les and drag him from the stage. Now, the woman doing the announcing, we find out later her name is Celeste, her character's name. She's being played by Colleen Kelly. There are 29 different women listed on imdb.com with the name Colleen Kelly. didn't you say when when we brought up this name, you said, oh, I know a Colleen Kelly. I went to college with a Colleen Kelly. It's the most common name. It's Bill Smith. I can't believe how common this name is. We've got 29 of them on IMDb. All are spelled exactly like this. This Colleen Kelly is number one. Her name may be the most interesting thing about her career. <laughs> Colleen has eight acting credits, mainly on TV. They all fall in the 1979 to 1982 range on shows like Buck Rogers in the 25th Century. Simon and Simon. And Chips. She did have one appearance in a 1995 movie called Destination Vegas. Destination (laughs) Vegas. It was a very small part as a journalist. I didn't dig too deeply into it, but one of the reviews for Destination Vegas started out terrible, doesn't even begin to describe (laughs) this movie. And as we're heading to Vegas, we head into our theme song. WKRP in Cincinnati. We come back in the studio, which means it's time for a poster watch. Yay! Yeah, we got a Pretenders poster on the door. (laughs) This is the poster for their debut album. That photo is the same one from the album cover. Got this. In pocket. This is a somewhat rare poster. I was looking around for it and discovered the Weedman Gallery is offering a copy of this poster in fair to good condition for $150 unframed. Somebody on Etsy is selling one for $325. Johnny should have nabbed this one out of the booth. We see another poster, Pearl Harbor and the Explosions. This is a poster for the one and only Pearl Harbor and the Explosions album. This is a new wave band that formed in the Bay Area in 1979. So, uh, Howard Hessman connection... The lead singer is a woman named Pearl E. Gates. She's the one who goes by Pearl Harbor. She even spells her last name H-A-R-B-O-U-R when in Britain. Pearl was married to Clash bassist Paul Simonen. 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 So it looks like a mistake. Simonen. Yeah, the first Paul time we came across Simonen. that, you said that looks like a typo. It's it does. Si- Simon with O-N on the end of it. The Explosions had limited success with the single Shut Up and Dance from this album. You just tell them, girl. Shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up and dance. Shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up and dance. Shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up and dance. Their only other release was a standalone single called Drivin'. Pearl Harbor and the Explosions broke up in 1982, about the same time everybody was over New Wave. Yeah, New Wave didn't last very long. You know, I'm looking at her real name, and I don't think that's a real name either. Pearl E. Gates. Pearly Gates. Pearly Gates. Pearly Gates. (laughs) I don't know what this woman's real name is. So she's Pearl (laughs) Gates, Pearl Harbor, who knows? So Johnny's in the studio wearing a tux from awards night. The top three or four buttons are unbuttoned, and he's got his bow tie hanging from his shirt collar. Also, we've got a lipstick print 
on his white shirt. And you made the comment, it does not look really like lips. It looks no, like a circle. It looks like somebody drew it on there or something. Why didn't they just have a woman with a bunch just of lipstick? Just have Jennifer step kiss. up and push her lips onto yeah, his shirt. Kiss his and, shirt yeah. right there. And then you got it. But no, it's an odd-looking circle on the, on his white shirt. Johnny's got headphones on and playing air guitar. And I'm wondering, when have we ever seen headphones in the studio at WKRP? So there's no sound. Johnny is wailing. He is going to town. Bailey enters and says hello to Johnny. He doesn't hear her. After a few more attempts at trying to get Johnny's attention, Bailey finally taps him on the shoulder. Johnny turns around and says hi to her, but he does it, you know, that way you do when you've got headphones on really loudly because you don't think anybody can hear you over the noise. Bailey notices Johnny is still wearing his tux. What with the tux? <laughs> tux, tux. Not do back until six. <laughs> He's getting his money's worth out of that tux. <laughs> when Johnny takes his phones down, we hear a snip of music. If you're watching along with us on the Shout Factory discs, what you'll hear is a generic bit of something done by a studio musician. It sounds like this. Not do back until six. If you'd been watching in late March of 1980 on CBS, you would have heard Ron Nagel and a cut from his 1970 Bad Rice album called 61 Clay. It sounds like this. It's not due back until six. <laughs> you might recognize the name. We've mentioned him before. Ron Nagel is one half of the Do-Rocks. Ron is a modern Renaissance man, truly. He's internationally recognized as one of the foremost ceramic sculpture artists of our generation. That's his day job. For fun, Ron was also a member of San Francisco 60s band Mystery Trend. He put out the Do-Rocks album with his buddy Scott Matthews, and he's written songs for everyone, from Barbara Streisand and The Tubes, to Leo Kotke. He was also the sound designer on the movie The Exorcist. Since Ron is such a noted ceramics artist, we thought the title 61 Clay might have something to do with real clay. Instead, it sounds like it's an address. And we think it's the address of a brothel. Kind of Ron's version of House of the Rising Sun. has never had a Billboard-level hit. But Bad Rice has enough of a cult following, it did get a CD reissue. I looked all over the place for the lyrics to this song, 61 Clay, because they're kind of hard to hear in the song itself. I was listening to it in headphones, and I kind of get the idea it's an address. That's where I, I, That was my interpretation of it, but... I, I wasn't positive. I wish I could have found the lyrics somewhere. Bailey picks up Johnny's award, and she asks him if it's his little prize. Do I detect a note of envy in your voice? Bailey tells him, not at all. Yeah, putting little in front of it is a really passive-aggressive way to cut it down. Mm -hmm. The snark has started early <laughs> in this episode. Johnny exhales some warm air on his award and polishes it on his rolled-up sleeve under his arm. Bailey picks up an album and pretends to be looking at it. Where did you disappear to last night? Johnny asks Bailey if she remembers the award presenter, Celeste. 
Bailey tells Johnny she's not interested in hearing about it. Let's just say it was an award-winning night all the way around. Johnny must have had a good evening. You are a sleazebag, Johnny. Bailey begins to leave the studio as Les enters. Bailey says good morning to Les. Les looks upset and sullen. He walks over and picks up Johnny's award. Les, I'm really sorry that you didn't win the award last night, but that's life. Those are the breaks. Les lets go with this awful, loud, painful sound. Ah! Which brings us to... The line of the episode... Fruit of the Loom's a little tight. (laughs) Les explains what we've just experienced was a primal scream. Johnny mentioned Fruit of the Loom's as a reference to Les's underwear. Fruit of the Loom is an American company founded in Providence, Rhode Island in 1851 by brothers Robert and Benjamin Knight. The brand name was Robert's Idea. It's a play on the biblical reference to fruit of the womb. The talking apples and grapes, remember those guys? Yeah. They would come much later. <laughs> fruit of the womb, guys! Our briefs holding up okay, Chief? I see a lot of underwear down here, and fruit of the loom is the pride of my fleet. Thanks to our super bad waistband. Naps back, wash after wash. That's quality. At a low price. Take it from a pro. Hey, you guys getting seasick? How could you tell? I've never seen ripe fruit turn green before. (laughs) Fruit of the Loom almost went under in 1999. They had a huge debt load at the time, and sales were dropping. In 2002, Warren Buffett and his Berkshire Hathaway Corporation bought Fruit of the Loom out of bankruptcy. These days, Fruit of the Loom is based in Bowling Green, Kentucky, and they're still making underwear. But they also own Russell Brands Athletic Wear, Vanity Fair Intimates, and Spalding. So yes, Fruit of the Loom is making basketballs and volleyballs. Now, Les's scream, he referred to it as a primal scream. Les's scream was for better health. Yeah. Les mentioned reading about primal scream therapy in a book. He's probably referring to the 1970 book Primal Scream by Arthur Yanov. Yanov is credited with creating this weird little genre of psychotherapy properly called primal therapy. According to Yanov, our deepest pain comes from unresolved childhood trauma. Primal therapy patients are encouraged to remember these deep, dark childhood memories, then get mad about them. Yanov doesn't just encourage screaming. He wants to see some violence in there with the screams. I read some descriptions of some of this, and they talk about, like, grown men crying and beating up a teddy bear. Oh, my. Yeah, weird stuff. So primal therapy has been discredited repeatedly since it was introduced. The 1970 book sold more than a million copies, and it was even reprinted in 1999. Still, real psychologists laugh at Yanov's theories. His treatments have been called shallow, glib, simplistic, and trendy. There have been absolutely no studies that show any positive outcomes from any primal therapy. When it was first introduced, both John Lennon and James Earl Jones were big fans and practitioners. Today, primal therapy clinics still exist, But real psychiatrists regard the whole thing as discredited and dumb. I want to hear James Earl Jones do a primal scream. I do, too. Darth Vader doing a primal scream. (laughs) That would be cool. No! 
Well, Bailey notices that Les is down in the dumps, and she offers to get him some coffee and a plate of danishes. She says it'll make him feel better. Well, Les smiles at her, and he nods. And as Bailey heads out the door, Johnny tells her he could use another pail of coffee. Oh, how rude of me not to have asked the big winner. Perhaps I should strap the coffee machine on my back. Is there anything else? No, but I would like one of those danishes you're going to get for less, okay? Johnny is not hearing the sarcasm in Bailey's voice, or he's just ignoring it. I don't know. Bailey lets go with a primal scream of her own. That's very good. Les is proud of her. (laughs) Bailey leaves the studio, slamming the door loudly, and Johnny, no reaction. No. Ah! We transition to Art's office where Carlson's talking to Jennifer. Facing Jennifer, Art kind of takes hold of her upper arms and he really looks intense. Oh, Jennifer, what happened to us last night? I beg your pardon? (laughs) Sitting at his desk, he tells Jennifer he just doesn't understand how that award slipped through their fingers like that. Jennifer tells him they'll win it next year. No, 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 something's wrong here. I've given Travis too much of a free hand around here. I gotta take charge. Venus walks into Art's office, clearly not happy. Now, let's take a look at Venus's vibin' threads. Medium brown pants with a lighter brown shirt, textured cream jacket with a dark brown handkerchief in breast pocket, and a huge bronze belt buckle. And he is carrying a gray cowboy hat. Shiny brown pointy-toed boots are on his feet. Mr. Carlson, this new change is not going to work. Now, I talked to Travis, but all he did was give me the runaround. Listen, Venus, I'm aware of the circumstances here, and I'm going to take steps to rectify that problem immediately. Well, thanks, Mr. Carlson. (laughs) Anytime, Venus. Anytime. Looking a bit unsure about what just happened, Venus turns and leaves the office. Carlson looks at Jennifer. That's how you handle things around here. What was he talking about? What was he talking Art was so demonstrative and had no idea what was going on. Jennifer explains Andy moved Venus's show up an hour to give him more drive time. Venus doesn't like it. He's very angry. Tough. You just overruled Andy. Good. None of this confuses you? No. Okay. Jennifer leaves the office saying good morning to Andy as he's coming into Carlson's office. And yes, Andy's wearing a green t-shirt with white letters on it, but you can't see what it says in this scene. We'll find out a little later. It's Wilmington College, and we'll get to that when we get to it. We'll get that to didn't that make when any we... sense. We'll get to that when we get to it. Well, that's true. Let me let me say that again. No, I like that. <laughs> let me try. Let me have an alternate. Don't you do? Let that. me have an alternate. You made you. Had... Okay. All right. Okay. Leave it in there. <laughs> Now it's Andy's turn to be upset. You're undermining my authority with the DJ. Andy's pointing his finger at Art, moving it up to emphasize each syllable. He is getting right in his face. He tells Carlson by telling Venus he didn't have to do what Andy told him to do and makes Andy sound like a fool. Yeah, you can take it. (laughs) You can take it. (laughs) And he tells Carlson he's responsible for programming this station. Holding a model airplane, Art turns to Andy. Response? You talking to me? I'll tell you about responsibility, buddy. Running this station is a -a 24-hour-a-day job. What do you think I do around here? Sleep? Yes, I do. Damn right I sleep. (laughs) 
Sometimes I wake up, when I wake up, I wake up worried. And that's what I call responsible, Travis. Andy asks Mr. Carlson... Are you saying that I'm not responsible? Carlson replies, something is wrong around here. Andy puts the model airplane down and faces off with Carlson. He tells him how his morning has been going so far. Venus is angry. Les is suicidal. Bailey's on some irrational tear about coffee or something. And Herb is... Herb. Carlson asks Andy what his point is. You blaming me? Andy tells Mr. Carlson they need to have a staff meeting and straighten these things out. Carlson picks up a magazine and he begins to browse through it. You know I don't like meetings. Andy takes the magazine out of Carlson's hands and tosses it on his desk. This is almost important. Almost. Almost important. (laughs) Almost important. Art stands up and says he will call for a meeting. And he asks, when? Well, I'll make an executive appraisal. Great. When? Well, I'll let you know. When? I'll call you. (laughs) Andy glares at Art, turns, and walks to the door. He puts his hand on the doorknob and then turns to face Carlson. I could have been a forest ranger, but I turned it down. (laughs) I could have been out there in the woods right now, just wandering around. (laughs) And he leaves a forest ranger. He'd rather be wandering around right yes, now. Yes, and not in putting the up forest. with these crazies at Nellie Carapy. Damn right, I sleep. <laughs> now we're in the bullpen, and Herb is at his desk talking on the phone. Now you tell me how my gas bill could suddenly go up 58 bucks. <laughs> well, I'll tell you something, pal. I'm not hanging up till I get an answer. I mean, hell can freeze over. Jennifer enters carrying a stepladder. Herb? Mr. Carlson asked me to take down the decorations for the victory party. I'd like your help, and I'd like it now. So watch it. Herb slams the phone down. <laughs> he walks over to where Jennifer is with the stepladder. I do you a favor, you do me a favor. Just get up the ladder. Okay, fine. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> Herb climbs up. Oh, man, it's a new day, and it's time. Herb Darling, fashion alert. Purple dress shirt purple, white, and a hint of green diagonal striped tie, mocha brown double vented coat and pants with white epaulets and white pockets, a white belt, and his white shoes. That coat is just ugly. It is just (laughs) everything about it. The piping, whatever they're doing to the pocket and all of this stuff, it is ugly. And at one point, his jacket opens up a little bit and you can see the lining even has a design. A crazy design in the lining. And it's like, man, I want to see the inside of that coat. Only he'd turn and flash a little of the lining to us. Bailey comes into the bullpen in a very agitated state. That is his second cup today. I spent $30,000 on an education just to get coffee for a DJ. I mean, he doesn't even chip in for the coffee fund. How unfair is that? I keep reminding myself. I am basically an executive. Smile. Be smart. You'll get your chance. Jennifer and Herb are watching her. As she rants, though, she does prepare some coffee and Danish. She puts them on a tray, picks up the tray, and begins to leave. Bailey, can I have one of those Danishes? Sure. And this is the greatest move. Bailey whips this Danish at Herb, and Jennifer takes a quick step back. The Danish hits Herb right in the gut. And I was amazed... At that angle, Bailey did not drop the tray. She held it level and was able to get enough torque with that and throw. And got out of the uh, and then boom. bullpen. Yeah, real, and then boom, she quick. was out of the bullpen. Yes, and Jennifer stepped away just in time. She would have gotten a Danish in the face. And we have more pennants. We see the word elder on a pennant above Xavier. 
We're pretty sure this is a pennant for Elder Preparatory High School in the Price Hill neighborhood of Cincinnati. Elder is an all-male Catholic prep school originally founded in 1922. Herb gets down from the ladder and licking his fingers, he tells Jennifer he'll take the decorations down later. He needs to clean up a little. He's got Danish on it. Yes, he does. Uh, Jennifer tells Herb everyone is a little on edge after last night's awards. Don't stir anything up, okay? He asks her what she means. Just try and be nice to everybody. I am nice. (laughs) Yeah, I'm nice. Herb's brutal sometimes. Les enters through the door leading to the studio hallway. He's reading from his tear sheets as he makes his way to his desk. Recovered from your crushing defeat yet? (laughs) Speaking of brutal, there it is. Les tells Herb to just leave him alone. Herb tells Les it's not the end of the world. It is so. Now here's Herb in his ham-handed way trying to comfort Les. He picks up the Silver Sow Award. Now look, you got your uh, silver-plated pig thing here. Les grabs it from Herb and tells him... That is the coveted Silver Sow Award. Les turns to his wall and he admires his array of... Buckeye Newshawk Awards, all five of them. Of course, I've got my five Buckeye Newshawk Awards, but that's all I've got. Les tells Herb his career is all that's ever mattered to him. Les explains that Herb has a life outside these four walls. Got Lucille and the children. You got a dog. (laughs) How long can a dog last, Herb? 14 years, tops. Herb turns to go back to his desk and sits in his chair. Don't be such a wimp. Les asks him what he means. Herb goes on to define it for him. A jerk, a crybaby, a weakling, and nobody. Les removes his glasses, then his jacket. Herb asks him, hey, what are you doing? I didn't say anything. Let's go to lunch. Lunch! Les jumps on Herb, grabbing him by the neck and rolling his chair around in circles as he shakes Herb forward and back. The whole choreography of this fight kills me. Everything happening in this whole scene is crazy. But these two with, oh man, Les getting in there and just slinging Herb all over the bullpen. And it goes on for a while too. So Jennifer enters the bullpen. As soon as she sees what's happening, she does a U-turn and boom, she's back (laughs) out the door. Doesn't say a word. No, not a word. (laughs) The door to the studio hallway opens. Andy enters. He's being followed by Bailey, who's complaining about Johnny. Andy sees Les and Herb. Herb, will you quit picking on Les? (laughs) Misinterpreting what's going on, Les is practically now on Herb. He's got Herb by the collar. Herb's face is beat red, and he's kind of half-heartedly throwing punches every now and then towards Les. Johnny enters. He sees Travis. He starts talking to him about how they need new headphones in the studio. They need new everything in there. Now, now, hold on a minute. Headphones? <laughs> we don't need no stinking headphones. Aside from Johnny jamming out just now, we rarely see headphones in use at WKRP. In a real radio studio, you wear headphones for just about everything you do. Johnny heads over to the coffee pot, but Bailey is blocking his access to it. She tells Johnny to keep away from the coffee. Andy tries to break Herb and Les apart. 
Then he heads over to the bickering Bailey and Johnny. You keep away from his coffee and I mean it. And this is nuts. It is utter chaos in the bullpen. Andy's yelling at Bailey, and you can barely make out what he's saying over all the noise that's going on. He yells at Bailey to give Johnny some coffee. He yells at Johnny to give Bailey some money for the coffee. He then goes back over to Herb and Les, who are getting even more violent. Herb has now reaching out with his hand. He found some pencils from the desk. He's going to use them as a weapon to stab Les. Les sees what he's doing and shoves a hand in Herb's face, and then he reaches up and he's grabbing the hand that is reaching for the pencil with his other hand. So you've got Les sprawled across Herb. He's just laying on it. They put some miles on that chair because when this fight started, they were in front of Herb's desk. So Carlson enters the bullpen and he yells. Andy salutes. And we can can barely hear hear that. Yeah. He said, troops are ready for inspection, sir. And then he stands at attention while Carlson looks from Les and Herb to Bailey and Johnny. Everyone freezes. It's like Santa Claus getting mad. Art can't yell. (laughs) Carlson glares at Travis. Travis, this station is a shambles. Oh, really, sir? Actually, I think the operation is running very smoothly. Carlson tells him it is not running smoothly, and he is going to call a meeting. He completely misses the sarcasm. Andy saw all of this coming. He knew something was going to happen. That's why he was in Carlson's office a scene or two ago asking for him to call a meeting. Yeah, he knew things were tense and it was all going to come to a head, and it did. So Carlson tells Andy he wants the staff in this room exactly at two. A meeting? Oh, now there's a good idea. Carlson thanks him, and as he walks out the door, he tells everyone... Carry on! Wait, hold, hold on! Yeah, I'm Travis, thanks a lot, man! Which is the last thing he should have said. The chaos picks up right where it left off. Venus enters the bullpen. He's upset. He just kind of piles on. He walks up to Andy and begins yelling at him. The noisy scene finally fades to black and wow. I'm exhausted after that scene. There was so much happening there. But you know, that choreography, that I get the feeling and I really get this sense as we see more of these episodes from Rod Daniel, he is kind of stretching his wings or stepping out and doing these things that are more complicated and more complex. This was just nuts, but so much fun. So it must be later that same day, we see everyone filing into the bullpen for the meeting that Mr. Carlson has called. Hello. Hi. How are you? Fine. They all say hi to each other, very curt, very short. And they take their seats. Mr. Carlson is the last to enter the bullpen. He asks them all to please be seated, and then looking around, he realizes they already are seated. Andy even has his feet in his pointy-toed boots propped up on the DJ's desk. And we can finally see Andy's shirt. He took off that shirt that he had over it. It says, Wilmington College. Wilmington is kind of an area college around Cincinnati. Their main campus is located in Wilmington, Ohio, but they have a campus located at Cincinnati State there in Cincinnati. Wilmington College was originally established by Quakers in 1870. And as the camera pans the bullpen, we see that Johnny is laid back on the couch, assuming his meeting position, which is a nap position. Art begins the meeting. It's come to my attention that uh, by some of us, well, maybe all of us, aren't getting along uh, as well as we sh- could or should with each other. Uh, 
anybody care to talk about that? No one says a word. Art asks if anyone thinks they have problems around the station. More silence. I know that, uh, you know, it's not easy to talk about these things. (laughs) (laughs) Johnny's in a deep sleep sitting next to Venus. Art begins talking about the staff and their relationships to each other. He begins with Herb and Les. Now, remember, they were really going at it earlier. Heck, <laughs> you guys are, you know, real good friends. <laughs> but deep down underneath, don't you kind of hate each other's guts? <laughs> he then looks at Andy and asks him, now, come on, wouldn't things be a little bit easier if, uh, if he wasn't around? Andy looks down, not wanting to meet Mr. Carlson's eyes. Carlson then looks at Venus and Johnny. Venus, uh, fever. Now, surely you two guys have got some, you know, deep under underlying professional jealousy, huh? <laughs> Venus smiles at Carlson as Johnny continues to dream away in sleep. That was kind of an odd shot. Venus just kind of looking at him with his little grin on his face. And what is art? With all the painful truth about everyone. He's ripping the Band-Aid right off on all of these things. Trying to get everybody to realize this? Or getting them shaken up or know. getting them to fight? I don't know. So Art turns to Jennifer and Bailey. And then, now, there's got to be a, a little something there, right? <laughs> a little. <laughs> and he pantomimes sticking a knife in and turning it with that little noise of his. <laughs> Jennifer and Bailey look at each other, then back to Art. No one is speaking. Art waits for a bit. Still nothing. Okay. I guess everything uh, everything's just fine here then, huh? Yeah, just my uh, imagination, huh? <laughs> All right, the meeting's adjourned. And Jennifer, you can put the phone back on the hook. Andy jumps up, asking Jennifer why she took the phone off the hook. Because he told me to. Well, now that's dumb. What do you mean, dumb? Customers could be calling in. You don't have any customers, Herb. I would if I worked at another station. Then why don't you quit? Stuff it, you lousy punk. Carlson thinks they might be getting somewhere now. Aha. Aha. You see, there it is. So We've got a problem. There's a lot of friction. It didn't take much to set them off. So Bailey interrupts, telling Art that she took a group dynamics course in college. I was thinking that perhaps maybe we could break up into diet. Art looks confused dyad what, what, what's a dyad dyad d-y-a-d is a word designed to make you feel dumb it simply <laughs> means two people it comes from the greek meaning a pair the smallest social group that can be formed is a dyad the most common dyads in society are married couples they get studied often as a dyadic relationship feel smart now Hugh Wilson made you learn a new word. Bailey decides to demonstrate her dyad expertise and asks Andy to come up and help her out. Andy is not thrilled about this. She also pulls Art forward. She asks Andy and Carlson to look at each other. Just see each other. Get used to one another's bodies. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) Venus on the wolf whistle. Bailey rolls her eyes as Andy yells at Venus to cut that out. Bailey then asks Carlson and Andy to take a step at a time and move closer together. A little less rigid, Travis. 
I'm not rigid. He was rigid. And he said that with clenched teeth. Yeah, he was rigid. Andy moves his head around and shakes his shoulders, and he tries to loosen up. Say the first thing that comes to your mind. Come on, say it. Say it. Bailey is looking at Mr. Carlson, encouraging him. Come on, say it. You got nice hair. (laughs) Andy then asks Bailey why... She and Jennifer, why don't they try it? Bailey doesn't like this idea. Jennifer's smiling and walks up to Bailey, facing her. She's very confident. Yeah, Andy's got this big grin on his face. He thinks he's going to start something. He looks from Bailey to Jennifer. Art's hovering kind of behind Bailey. Bailey says, hello. Hello. Andy tries to encourage Bailey. Come on, say the first thing that comes to your mind, right? Go ahead, say it. You can do it. Come on. He's watching, and he starts rubbing his hands together. Go on, get used to each other's bodies. Less, less, less. That's a funny line, but come on, less. Yeah. Venus raises his eyebrows, smiling as Johnny nods his head in agreement with Les. And Johnny looks so sage when he nods. (laughs) While frustrated and embarrassed, Bailey turns and walks away. Herb, seeing an opening... He jumps up to take Bailey's place across from Jennifer. Jennifer kind of rolls her eyes and turns and walks away. We're not getting anywhere with this. Now I've had some experience in the same kind of thing. And the first thing we can, we have to do before we do anything else is relax. He asks everyone to sit down, close their eyes, and breathe in deeply. Herb is at his desk. He pulls out his extendable mirror, <laughs> and he adjusts it so that he can see Jennifer who is sitting on the couch behind him. He watches her as Venus asks them all to breathe in deeply. Herb takes a breath each time Jennifer does. He's enjoying the show. Just when you didn't think Herb could get any sleazier. (laughs) So Venus bends down next to Herb. Herb, you don't have your eyes closed. Watching Jennifer. Venus slams Herb's mirror back down on the desk. I like it that he actually confesses, I was watching Jennifer. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think he kind of feels like that if he explains that that's what he's doing, Venus would be okay with it. Yeah, but Venus was not. No. Just pretend you're on your own private beach. Just you and the water. Isn't that nice? Picture the sun, the sand, the emerald surf. I want a girl. Huh? <laughs> I want a girl on my beach. And of course, Johnny wants a girl. So Venus nods his head, gives in. He tells the group that everyone's alone. And I saw this being a bad move when he said it. Everyone's alone except for Johnny, who has a girl with him. Well, Les jumps out of his seat. Well, that's hardly fair. Venus says he gives up. He walks over to sit on Bailey's desk. Herb points at Johnny. Fever always gets preferential treatment. It's like a bunch of kids. Yeah. Les agrees with Herb. Johnny sits up. Look, Nesman, uh, I won some lousy award, and you didn't, and that's why you're upset, okay? Oh, I'm not upset. I couldn't care less about your lousy award. Johnny tells Les he doesn't care about it either. It is recognition, but what else do DJs get? I mean, we're just voices in the air, but we're what makes radio alive. And <sighs> what do we get for it? it? Seems like every year you. Pack everything up, move to another town. Gets harder and harder to find a station that'll let you program music you want to play. You're 40 and there's some kid half your age who will take your job and do it for half the money. And and then you find yourself making silly demands. Free coffee. 
But that's my little moment of honesty, so we can get back to the nonsense. Herb. Thank you, John. <laughs> wow. Johnny really went on a tangent there, showing off the soft underbelly of the DJ life. He really opened up there. Herb stands up to address the group. I was born. Oh, man. <laughs> well, I was. <laughs> it's kind of a little far back to start the story. He then goes into his speech. I mean, you guys think DJing is tough. Well, you ought to try stepping into my suit. <laughs> Must be murder just trying to match the tie with the suit. Sometimes I can't do it. Bailey decides to try again. She looks at Johnny and tells him she appreciates what he said earlier. She goes on. I'm sorry about the coffee, and I think it should be on the house. No, I'll chip in. Less interrupts. No, wait just a minute here. Wait a minute. This meeting is starting to lose some of its bitterness. <laughs> I love that. Les likes the conflict. He wants the bitterness. I kind of think maybe that could have been line of the that episode, That could have been. Too. That's an honorable mention on line of the episode. Les says he has some questions and he wants some answers. Andy tells him, sure. Les sits on the edge of Bailey's desk. First of all, why are we all here on this planet? <laughs> to wear less. Okay, that's getting pretty deep. Is Les smoking some weed at work? <laughs> Andy walks over to Les, puts his arm around him, and asks Les if he has another question, perhaps a less <laughs> philosophical one. Les jumps up and runs to his office. Yes, I do, Travis. Why don't I have any walls? You're behind this. No walls. Andy explains to Les. If you had walls, then, then Herb here would want walls, and then the DJs would want walls, and then Bailey would want walls, and pretty soon we'd have a room full of nothing but walls. We don't need walls. Whoa. Andy's face is red, and he is right up in Les's face. Wow, Andy went off. Yeah, Les is actually leaning backward <laughs> as Andy finishes his little temper tantrum. Andy? Calm down. Andy apologizes, and then he explains himself a bit more clearly. We don't need to build more walls. What we need to do is we need to tear down the walls that already separate us. I can't believe I just said that. That's the corniest thing I've ever said in my life. I'm going to go right back over there and be sick. It's going to be sick after saying that. And it feels like Pink Floyd. <laughs> Les is feeling confident. In my opinion, the management of this station is not responsive to the needs of the news department. Come on, how can you say that? We hear Art snoring on the couch. He was so tense, he couldn't relax, and now he's snoring. Jennifer pulls on Art's vest, telling him to wake up. And I love this. Art comes from a sound sleep, jumps up off the couch, and launches right into... Oh, sure, you people have all got your petty little problems. <laughs> What about me? Huh? I got to deal with my mother every single day. <laughs> Folks, there's a woman that could disarm Patton in a sec. <laughs> trouble? <laughs> my life's full of trouble. My wife is pregnant. A 12-year-old son wants to join the American Nazi party. <laughs> sure, I'm conservative, but you know, that's nuts. <laughs> For his birthday, he wants a, an automatic weapon. <laughs> Keeps talking about taking Ohio first. <laughs> what does he mean by that? 
<laughs> that is the greatest monologue. But to have it go from zero to, to 90 like that, yes. just jumping up off the couch. So Andy asks Art to sit down. Carlson tells Andy he doesn't understand how they lost that award last night. Jennifer, come on, th- th- tell me. What, what's that? I don't know. Oh, don't lie to me. <laughs> don't lie to me. Jennifer looks Mr. Carlson in the eyes. There is a problem. We didn't win the award, and now everyone's trying to blame everyone else. It's only natural. You know, it happens in the best of families. We just all take one another for granted. Who would want to come to work tomorrow if, if say, Les wasn't here? He's family. And there's Mr. Carlson, the occasionally confused but always concerned father. Andy, the success-oriented, competent, tight-panted son. Yes. <laughs> Les, the consistently strange, bookish brother, and Herb, the semi-lovable troublemaker and general jackass. Johnny, the weather-beaten uncle who always wanted to be a sailor. No, that's not right. I never could nail you down. And Venus, the spiritual, loving brother, and Bailey. Bailey, the beautiful, shy sister with the brains. Now, that's what I call a pretty nice family. Les tells Jennifer that she always has such a nice way of putting things. He then runs to Mr. Carlson. (laughs) Hi, Dad. (laughs) Les, I've got enough problems. Johnny says he needs to be heading out. Feel a group hug building. (laughs) Yeah, it's getting a little syrupy in there. Too mushy. Carlson excuses himself, and he starts to leave. He turns to Andy extends his hand and apologizes. Mind if I help you do whatever it is that you do around here? Well, you usually do. (laughs) And I'm realizing how long this scene has gone, that we've been in the bullpen working all of this out. Almost in real time, we're just sitting in there with these guys for like 12 or 14 minutes. So Venus invites Johnny out for a beer, saying he's buying. Johnny takes him up on that offer, but Bailey stops Johnny. I don't think I was uh, mad about um, the coffee. I think I was mad because uh, you haven't um, asked me out in a long time. I could uh, keep the tux for another night. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm busy all week. (laughs) Ouch. Bailey getting him back for the Celeste thing. Les walks over to Herb and asks... Why do you suppose we're all here on this planet? (laughs) All right. We watched this several times. We have no idea what Herb is is motioning with when uh, he starts in on the hand movements. But Herb leans in towards Les's ear and he's whispering something that we can't hear. As he's whispering, we get all these weird hand motions. And when Herb finishes what he's saying, Les looks disgusted. He gives this look to Herb as he's going over to his desk. Les sits down at his desk. He's still staring at Herb with his look of disgust on his face. And he spits out, That's disgusting. (laughs) I know. (laughs) And Herb is so (laughs) self-satisfied. That is wrapping up both Most Improved Station, but also our entire second season. Now, we are going to take a week 
off and do a rerun next week to give us a little bit of downtime between uh, the two seasons. But then the following week, what is our episode, Donna? The next episode we'll be discussing is The Airplane Show. To compete with WPIG's traffic helicopter, Les starts reporting the news from a pre-World War II biplane piloted by a deranged veteran on Veterans Day. That's going to do it for this episode of the WKRP cast. If you'd like to watch along with us, make sure to check our show notes. Find us on social media. Follow our Facebook page at WKRPCast. For more WKRP fun, become a patron. Go to patreon.com slash WKRPCast for behind-the-scenes fun, full interviews, and more. Got a question, comment, or correction? Let us know about it. Write us, WKRPCast at gmail.com. And remember to please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening. Bye. May the good news be yours. The WKRP cast is not endorsed by MTM Enterprises, Shout Factory, or CBS. This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. WKRP in Cincinnati, the WKRP logo, and all names, pictures, and audio of WKRP in Cincinnati characters are registered trademarks of MTM, CBS, Shout Factory, or their respective copyright holders. Almost forgot, fellow babies. Booger!